Hey kids, it's Steve Ag, and you're listening to another episode of Steve Ag uh, on the Feral Audio Network. Um, this is episode 59. I'm almost to 60. I'm so excited about. I'm I'm more excited than I should be. I've been doing this podcast for years, so technically I should have. I should be closer to 200 or something. <laughs> but, uh, you know, those of you who are regular listeners know my torrid past and my difficulty podcasting. Um, but you also know that this year I've had a resurgence and I've been very diligent and very good about getting these out. You know, I think last year I did three or four podcasts the whole year. It was also a very bad year for me. Um, and this year we've we've cranked out, you know, probably 15, 15 of them already. I don't know. I should I, I should double double check before I start spouting off statistics, statistics anyway. Yeah. So we're almost to 60. Um, also, we're 10 away from. 69 <laughs> I'm 47 Okay um, So yeah, hey Let's get this out of the way If you're going to do some shopping A little internet shopping If you're an Amazon shopper uh, Why not use the portal The little button The Amazon button That you see on the Feral Audio homepage Or the Steve A.G. Uh page That is connected with Feral Audio Go do your Amazon shopping and uh, you don't have to pay anything extra, but uh, it helps the artists at Feral. And um, maybe you'll be able to sleep a little better at night. I don't know. Maybe you have a guilty conscience. This could be a good start for you. I, I, I hope this isn't a good start for you. I hope you're already a good person. Listen, what I'm saying is do your shopping through the Feral Audio portal. <laughs> Okay, that's out of the way. Hey, let's do some podcasting. My guest this week is my good friend, Jesse Thorne. Jesse is a guy who is specifically, I mean, he's been doing podcasting since podcasting started. Like, he's one of the earlier podcasters. He, Jesse is also, by the way, one of my favorite interviewers. You know, I love Mark Marin. I love Marin's podcast. Um, it's great. Uh, and Jesse's right up there. I might even like Jesse's interview style more. He's so good and so thorough. And he sounds so professional. But when you see him outside of podcasting, he's a big goofball. Um, but I've been listening to his podcast, uh, The Sound of Young America, which is now Bullseye. Um for probably 10 years and it was it goes on way beyond that you should go to his website maximumfun.org it's his podcast network and um check out bullseye you can find archives of the sound of young america brian posein and i did an episode of the sound of young america probably in 2007 or 8 when we were um promoting the sarah silverman program we went to his apartment. This was back at an apartment 
in Koreatown. Jesse's hardcore. He's 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 turned his little radio show into a, a, a podcast empire. Uh, he also has a, a great um, podcast that he does with Jordan Morris called Jordan Jesse Go, which I love, and I've been on uh, more than once, folks. I was that impressed with these two guys that I agreed to go back and do their show <laughs> multiple times. No, they're terrific. Um, check out all their podcasts. They're great. I'm such a huge fan, and I was so happy that Jesse agreed to do this. So let me stop blowing sunshine up Jesse's butt, and let's get on with this podcast. Thank you for listening, and Jesse, if you are listening to this, thank you for doing the podcast once again. Bye. We're close enough that it won't. You're not blurry. Okay, good. I have because I have. I'm nearsighted and farsighted. So you only. So there's a middle distance that's actually awesome, and it's just about where you're sitting. (laughs) I forgot my glasses in my car, and it's too hot to walk back because I had to find a two-hour parking spot. All these are like one hour. But that's why I said on Wilshire by the park, that all those are two hour. They may even be. Oh, you know what? You're right. You, for some reason, I was thinking Park on Wilshire, on the Park side. Yeah. Yeah, it's four hours. There. Yeah. Yeah, but the Park side, Wilshire, all of Wilshire is the Park side because it goes right through the park. Yeah, the part that's in the park is like for four some hour. reason. I was like, oh, on one side of Wilshire, there's a park and a. I don't know. It was early. Fine. Next time we'll leave a $7 parking pass for you, Steve. No, That's no, no. Fine. <laughs> no. It's fine. It's, it's fine. I'm good. I have. A, it's fine. I'm really rich. I can afford all the $7 parking passes. I also, driving over here, was hearing like a rattling. I just got a new truck. You know, I think last time you saw me, I was driving a Mini Cooper. Yes. A new, new truck? Well, a, a new used truck. Uh-huh. And because I've always had trucks. Before that Mini, I've only driven trucks. And is it a pickup? It is a Ford F one fifty. And by the way, it would be awesome if you were like, no, it's a it's a box truck. <laughs> no, it's an eighteen wheeler. <laughs> I'm driving a, a Kenworth. Okay. For real, I am not playing. Like on my drive home uh, through, I guess it must be Glassell Park or Monterey Park. I think it's in Monterey Park. There is just a nice house. Yeah. That I drive past almost every day Yeah. that fully has an 18-wheeler parked in the driveway. <laughs> like, I don't know how the driveway is big enough. I don't know how he fits it in between the gate, the sides of the yeah. edges of the fence. Yeah. But he, there's fully an 18-wheeler parked in front of just a single occupancy, yeah. just like a regular, small Southern California home. I had a cousin who had a truck like that. And I, growing up, always thought that you rent trucks or you work for a company that you, has like, the truck. Them, yeah. Right? yeah. I didn't know there were people that actually own them that once they're done with their delivery, it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be in their driveway. Just Yeah. They're just driving it down to the Walmart or whatever. I was driving back to LA from I'm your... gonna amend that. Driving it down <laughs> driving it down to the Macy's. I don't want people to think that that was a classist that I picked Walmart. I got I don't care. I, I was driving back here from from Riverside the other other day, and I saw, like, a big truck. I mean, I won't say an 18-wheeler because it didn't have the trailer on the back of it, but it was what you would tow on, you know. It was like a Mack truck. It was huge. Right. And on the back where 
normally the trailer would hook up. You know, there's that little flat area in back of the the cab. You like the little hitch thing. Was a smart car. Someone was driving around a big, you know, semi truck with a smart car on the back of it where you would hook up a trailer. Was it to make a point? I don't know. I think it was just... Was this an art installation of some kind? I think it was one of those dudes who has, just owns his truck and is like... Someone who's just into extremity? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, the thing I forgot with trucks, since, you know, I had that Mini Cooper for like four or five years, is uh, people like to throw their garbage in the back of your truck. What? Is that real? Yeah, I have street parking and... I went out to my truck today, and I was driving over here, and I heard rattling in the back of the truck, and I immediately flashed back to all the trucks I've owned going, oh, somebody was walking through the neighborhood and just threw their oh. their shit in the back of my truck. I and sure freak- enough, it was a Gatorade bottle in the back of my truck. I would have freaked out because uh, my friend Nick drives an F-150, yeah. and uh, the wheel came off on the freeway once. <laughs> what? Yeah, the wheel fully came off. <laughs> That's horrifying. I know. A front wheel or a back wheel? A back wheel. Oh, that's good. And he fully drives, still drives the same truck. I'm like, as soon as the wheel comes off, I'm in a different vehicle. Yeah, I'm switching car companies. I don't care if I have to switch to a... a... Well, I drive an F-150 and now I'm kind of terrified. Yeah, well, watch out, man. Make sure those wheels are on tight. Tighten those lug nuts, my friend. Did he crash or he was able to... He was, uh, he luckily he was like on a like relatively deserted part of like the five freeway between San Francisco and LA. It was like, and so he like pulled, he he managed to sort of like scrape his way over to the edge of the road. And there's not a lot to do in that stretch of road. Yeah. And so he actually had to, he had to have a friend like come and get him. But it was like he was like three hours from Los Angeles. I was <laughs> so you had once, to convince a friend to like spend the day coming to get him. I was once driving to Ashland, Oregon from LA with my last Ford F one fifty. Where what were you headed there for? The uh, the, the mineral Oregon, water or the Shakespeare Festival? The lithia water. Because <laughs> I was a little off balance. Um, no, I actually moved to Ashland and it was when I was moving up there. My girlfriend and I were in my truck and the transmission just fell apart while we were driving and we were in the middle i mean we were north of like yuba city you know like we were in the middle of nowhere like probably an hour or two outside of redding and uh so we managed to luckily it happened right by one of those you know every five or ten miles there's just a gas station oh yeah so we pull into the gas station they had a service area and it was just this toothless old guy who was just Total shyster. He's like, yeah, you, yeah, it's your transmission. It's going to cost like $2,000 to fix. Or I'll buy your truck off you for $1,000. And I had no money because I had just paid for a new apartment in Ashland. I had nothing. So I was just like, uh, yeah, I guess give me $1,000. Here's my fucking truck. <laughs> and the only thing I could find. In short notice in that area was I bought like a used uh, Ford Aerostar. <laughs> so I was driving a minivan temporarily. I was so fucking bummed out, man. I don't know. Aerostar is a pretty cool ride. I, I, yeah, I guess. Got some captain seats uh, in there. I, I didn't have kids or a fa- I had a girlfriend. That's about it. We're driving. Driving around a family van through. Uh, there's plenty of room in the back for. Uh, I had that know, my whole time in Ashland. For making out. 
Have you been to Have you been to Ashland? Yeah, I've been to Ashland a few times. I have like a my, my dad's like second cousin or something lived in Ashland, and then I went to this really fancy middle school. Yeah, and uh, they went to Ashland school trip every year. Yeah, to go to the Shakespeare Festival. I saw I saw a production of Joe Turner's Come and Gone, the August Wilson play that like totally changed my life. Really? Yeah, totally. It was probably in one of the smaller like the black box theater or something, right? It was no, it was in a big theater. Yeah, really? it was in one of the big ones. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I saw, also saw a production of Antony and Cleopatra that convinced me that I hate Shakespeare. Oh, dude, I'm not on board with Shakespeare at all, and I feel like I'm in a minority when I say that. I can make it through Much Ado About Nothing. Uh. That's about it. Everything yeah. else, like I can look at it and be like, I can, it's a big deal that this works as well as it does 600 years later or 500 years later, whatever it is. I understand yeah. that. I as understand well that. as it does, yeah. I don't want to watch it. No. I respect it, but I don't want to be I think I went to maybe one Shakespeare play when I was li- <laughs> living in Ashland. I was like, I saw The Tempest. So I was like, all right, I get it. I also was an actor as a kid. Not a professional actor, but I went to I went to uh, arts high school, so I did acting like <laughs> yeah. four four hours a day. Yeah, and wow. um, so there's certain parts of the world of theater that I just can't deal with. Yeah, I also like there are areas where an actor feels good about themselves while they're doing it. Yeah, but I don't want to watch it. That's yeah. mostly Shakespeare and musical theater. Yeah, like there are exceptions in musical. Like if you, if I see a really exceptional musical, you know, on Broadway, I'm on board for that. But like in general, musical theater to me is a genre of entertainment. It's really weird. That's it, really fun to do. Like I'm not even gonna lie. I don't. Sure. I don't sing or dance particularly. It's like improv. It's fun to do. It's but like only the very watch. peak of it is the is good to watch. Like granted, like you go see. Convoy, you go see an ASCAT show. <laughs> yeah, and, oh yeah, like yeah. The for best sure. improv teams, and you're just like, wow, that was awesome. Yeah. But you also like sometimes you go see somebody that's great. Yeah. And they're not having a great show or whatever, and you're like, oh, I, you have to watch through your fingers. Yeah, definitely feel the same way about musical theater. I've it's only, the funniest thing ever. I've I have o- actually have a standing offer, Steve. Yeah. And I want to share this with your show's listeners. I've yeah. shared it with Judge John Hodgman and Jordan Jesse Go listeners. Yeah. I'm willing to travel to star as Professor Harold Hill in any production of The Music Man. Yeah. That is in a 200 seat or more theater. Like, you have to pay me enough money that I can live and eat. Yeah. Uh, but besides that, I'm pretty much willing to travel anywhere to do it. Uh, and I'm willing to do it on an even smaller scale in Los Angeles, where I already live. What's the uh, cap on the, the the length of time you're willing to do? Like, what's the run that you would be willing to put up with? Well, I mean, I think the the, the length of run really depends on compensation. So <laughs> I think if I go more than like a two-month run, yeah. <sighs> uh, I'm starting to endanger my other jobs. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a certain amount of like running reruns and getting Guy Branham to fill in for me and like renting a local studio that could keep my NPR show Bullseye yeah. running. And Jordan certainly doesn't need me on Jordan Jesse Go. <laughs> it's by far the, like, people t- don't turn into that yeah. to listen to me. Uh, no, same no. Same with Judge it's... John Hodgman. Like, granted, did I come up with the idea for Judge John Hodgman? Yeah, sure, I did. Is that why I get to be on it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, are John and I friends? Yeah, sure. Would people rather hear uh, anyone else be the bailiff besides me? Yes, I, of I, course. I don't agree with you on that. <laughs> yeah. I could never, 
I've had this discussion with people. I, I would never want to do a run of a show on Broadway, be it straight acting or a musical. Just I have a tr- I have trouble memorizing lines, and I I've done yeah. plays, and I've the whole t- run of the plays I've done, I've been a nervous wreck. That's why I quit acting. There's two reasons I quit acting after high school. I did a little bit of acting in college. <laughs> I basically took an acting class in college, and I, the people that I, your friend Aya Cash, who was just on this show, yes, a friend yeah, of mine I, from, we went to the same high school together. Yeah. Um, but there was, and she's on uh, uh, You're, You're the, the Worst, worst. Um, and is amazing on mm-hmm. it. She's so great. It's a good actor. Um, but like, I went to high school with mostly really talented. There was like basically my classes were composed of two types of people. Yeah. Genuinely really talented kids. Yeah. And people who uh didn't want to be there but didn't want to get beat up at a different high school. Yeah, that makes total so sense. So that was main, my main category. <laughs> that I makes was, absolute sense by the way. I was like probably the and I speak now as someone who has done professional acting, but like I was probably the out of a class of twenty, I was probably the seventeenth best actor in my class. But I was this in was that a high group. school, like a school of the arts. Yeah, high school. exactly, like fame, fame. So, oh, but then I got to college. Yeah. And and so and we, I you know when I was in high school, waiting for Guffman came out, and oh, of course every it was so like good. the funniest thing ever to yeah. us. Um, now I watch it, I think eh, maybe that main character is a little homophobic. Um, yeah, but I still, it's really hilarious. It's great, yeah. But uh, I didn't know about. I didn't get the like depth of the joke of kind of sad wannabes who want to be actors yeah. until I went to college. Yeah, when I went to a good college, a perfectly good college. You're a banana slug. I'm a UC Santa Cruz banana slug. Like it's a real yeah. solid B of a university. Yeah, I have a lot of friends that went went to uh, Santa Cruz. I mean, if you don't get into UCLA or UC Berkeley, it is a good. Other options. I wanted to go to UC Santa Cruz. And I took an acting class and I looked around and I thought, wow, <laughs> there are 25 people in this class. Desperate. One of them might have been able to get into my high school. Like I was like, yeah. I might be the most yeah. talented person here and I am not very talented. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Like it's a. Uh, cultural identity wanting oh, yeah. to be a theater kid. It's not about yeah. being good at it. I have a feeling if I would have joined the the drama club or whatever in high school or gone to a performing arts high school, I probably wouldn't be acting or doing comedy now. I, it probably would have discouraged me. I got discouraged. And I think only the fact that... <laughs> Only By the, the way, I like to imagine you in like high school with that same beard that you have. Like, <laughs> Jesse has the most massive beard. I literally weighed. I there's a couple of pictures of me that uh, in high school productions. There's a picture of me in a high school production of the Three Penny Opera. <laughs> the Three Penny Opera. Somebody, uh, John Ross Bowie, I think, heard that I was in a production of the Three Penny Opera in high school, and he's yeah. like. Oh, what were you in rep with uh, Mother Courage and her children? And I was like, yes, we were in rep with Mother Courage and her children. I don't <laughs> even know what that means. It's a different the... Brecht show. What's Mother Courage? Mother Courage is a di- is a, a different, slum- slightly less, but still pretty famous Brecht vile okay. musical. But anyway, um, yeah, like I think I think only the fact that I, I wonder, like 
I wonder how things would have gone differently. I think that if you were allowed to be funny in acting school, mm -hmm. I might have tried to become an actor, in which case I would probably be miserable because being an actor is really hard, especially if you don't like auditioning yeah. and having people tell you what's wrong with you, yeah. which I can't. I'm very bad at. I still am. Yeah. I And also, like, when you're in drama class, in school, in college, a lot of it isn't comedy, which is, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. That's how I make a living. Almost none of it is comedy. All I do is comedic acting, and I would have been so discouraged being like, I, I don't want to do Shakespeare. I don't want to do Tennessee Williams. I don't want to do any of this shit. It's... Yeah, you're like, you're like literally, you have this whole semester of Shakespeare and you're just waiting until you can do Bottom from A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> yeah. It's like the least funny thing ever, but at least yeah. you could do some shtick. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I couldn't have. Uh, There's no funny monologues. I'm glad I fell into comedy and acting the way I did. It was. Well, I, you were like, you were like a. a uh, like a tape logger in reality television for like five years. Oh, right? yeah. I knew I wanted to work in TV. I didn't know how to go about doing it. I came to L.A. with a band. I was playing in bands when I first came to L.A. I was going to a music school, and uh, and it wasn't until I started dating a girl who was taking classes at the Growlings that I was like, yeah, this is really what I've been wanting to do. But I didn't, I didn't know there was a whole comedy world of, you know, theaters and improv troops and stuff like that that's when it took off and then i you know i supplemented my income by <laughs> the real world and the osbournes and temptation island yeah i mean my my friend jordan morris who i do jordan jesse go with yeah like i don't i don't think i ever would have gotten serious i might have ended up being the like host of npr's bullseye maybe yeah but i don't think i ever would have gotten serious about all the other things that i do uh, if it weren't for the fact that Jordan, who is from Orange County and his family couldn't be further separated from the entertainment industry, yeah, you know, that's that, like that hour and yeah. a half is like couldn't be further. Yeah, couldn't that's exactly what distance. I went through. Like, but Jordan, Jordan found out when we were like when he was like a senior in college, and I was just out of college that his. His estranged dad, like, knew someone who used to work at Fox or something, pursued yeah. it, got an internship, got PA jobs. Like, wow. Jordan has, Jordan's, like, focus and dedication to this thing that seemed completely impossible was always a huge inspiration to me. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and it worked for him. How did you meet? By the way, my guest is Jesse Thorne, which you already know that because you clicked on the link to listen to this. But, uh, Jesse, you're one of my favorite interviewers, for real. Unlike the, the die has been cast, the mistake has been made, and made, and there's no going. No, back. no, no. Jesse's up there. Like, I I love listening to, to Mark Maron's podcast, but I think you are like you, you're not, probably I'm not familiar with this. He's podcasting now. He's a comedian. He has a podcast. Okay. Um, I think it's based on his TV show. No, I know he's <laughs> look. I know. I know he's a comedian. He's that guy who's a failed comedian going through a midlife crisis, right? <laughs> Every day of his life, yeah. That's the. But you're you've been since I found out, and Mark I Mary by the way, I is my friend. I found out. I love Mark. <laughs> I found out about you when I did your podcast with Brian Posehn. We. Uh, oh yeah, we that went was to a long time ago. My apartment we, in Koreatown. 
and it, I think there's still a video of that on YouTube. There is. And it's just the back of your heads, or you, the back of my head. No, it's the back of me and Brian, you narcissist. <laughs> we, uh, I think it was a function of the fact that it was a very small room, and there was only one thing that I could put the camera on top of. You had a podcast called The Sound of Young America. Yeah, which, which was also, was also a radio show. Yeah, contiguous. It, it's, that's the best bullseye. We just changed the name a couple years ago. And that that's when I found out about Sound of Young America, and I just kind of binged on it and I was like Jesus Jesse's a you're a fucking great interviewer you're Thank really you. like top notch um, but I wanted to know I've always wanted because I know nothing all I know about you is you're a banana slug you're from the Bay Area you know, because you're usually doing all the interviews, we you know should, what I mean? We should clarify that when you say I'm a banana slug, <laughs> you're not referring to the You should see what I'm to. looking at right now. That's my, <laughs> that's my gender identity. I'm looking at a little snail <laughs> on top of a chair. No, it's, uh, yeah, the UC Santa Cruz mascot yeah. is a... <laughs> How did that come about, by the way, a banana There was slug. like, okay, so I think in the 70s, so the story of UC Santa Cruz, as I understand it as an outsider, is that in the, it was born in the late 1960s as kind of like the revolutionary UC. And uh, the UC system, obviously one of the best uh, uh, public college systems in the, in the country, yeah. um, something we can really be proud of starving of resources here in California. Um, and uh, yeah, like I think I think it was started as like the visionary University of California school and all the professors that started were all like emeritus professors when I was in school and they were always the most interesting and amazing. Right. And there are these people that went there then like um, Lawrence Weschler, who's was a writer for the New Yorker for decades and um, yeah. is uh, the head of the New York Council of the Humanities and is like one of the most brilliant yeah. guys I've ever met. Um, there's these people that went there then. And then I think over time, it went from being, I think, when I was in school, which was the early 2000s, was sort of an inflection point where it was going from being the, like, cool alternative school to just uh, what it is now, which is basically, like... Hippie. Shitty UC Irvine. Yeah. But there's a few areas where it's, like, got specialties where it's really great. Like, it has the best undergraduate physics department in the country because there's no graduate physics program and all the people from Lawrence Livermore Labs yeah. teach there in the undergrads, which yeah. they don't at like Stanford or whatever. Yeah, There's like a marine sciences, natural sciences it's really good at. But like basically at this point, it's sort of, it's lost all of the things that made it interesting at one point. Santa Cruz is bonkers. I remember, you know, I had friends in that went to a, a private Christian boarding school south of Santa Cruz and so I would visit them sometimes, and we'd go to Santa Cruz. And this was like the late 80s. It wasn't as dirty as it is now, but it was still like not what I imagined it to be. Like a lot of junkies and like homeless people and kind of scary. I, was, I remember walking around the streets of Santa Cruz going, this is kind of terrifying. See, I'm from the mission in San Francisco. So to oh, that's me, even... <laughs> I, the thing that terrified me were like the trees and stuff. Oh, like, right. I was so uncomfortable just like walking around because it was like too quiet. Yeah. And I always felt like something was like over my shoulder. Yeah. Because I couldn't identify the threats. Like I couldn't figure yeah. out, I couldn't parse like what was going wrong. Yeah. Like I knew 
<coughs> and, like, I knew how to be scared in the city. Like, I'm not trying to present myself as tough here, Steve. It's obvious that I'm not. I'm an NPR host. But, like, I knew, I knew how to recognize, like, there's a thing, like, called a roll-up. That's, like, when somebody's yes. coming up towards you to jack you, right? Yep. And I knew how to catch that in my eye and make a move away from it, like mm-hmm. cross the street. Yep. So that because part of it is they have to like get up close to you without it seeming like they're doing anything, so that they can be up close to you and like flash something or show something and be like, "Wallet yeah. check, bitch." Yeah. Right. But if <laughs> if they they can't like cross the street and follow you because there's people around and it would make them look like they're trying to rob sure, people. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was a skill I had at 19. But like trees was not a skill I had. Trees was not a skill I had. Like it just made me super uncomfortable for like two years. I was like really uncomfortable all the time. Yeah. That's so weird. What's there was the other thing that was crazy that I was like, I guess I just, I just thought of California as mostly San Francisco Bay Area, Los Angeles, and maybe like some Sacramento. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And like I got there and I was like, oh, I guess most of California is like Thousand Oaks and Irvine. And like just especially like people that are going to Rancho Cucamonga. Rancho Cucamonga. Like Southern California is uh, the most populous region and most of the population of Southern California lives in kind of miscellaneous suburbs. Yeah. And so I was like, everyone around me. Like, I would get so excited if I met anybody from L.A., San Francisco, or Oakland. Yeah. <laughs> just because they would, like, have some understanding of... Yeah. I mean, it felt like the reverse of, like, being a farm kid that went to the big city that went to the big city to go to college, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. I just need to know, find yeah. somebody that knows what it's like to milk a cow. Yeah. Like, I just needed to find somebody that knew what it was like to catch somebody on the roll-up and cross the street. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing! Um, <laughs> I never got that. I mean, I and I when well, I grew up in Riverside, which isn't, it's not, it's like one of your Rancho yeah, Cucamonga type places. things that you're yeah. talking about. It's nice. I mean, it's not like the people weren't nice or anything. There I was made, ended up making a lot of friends. I mean, Jordan's from Mission Viejo. What's the little tiny town just south of Santa Santa Cruz? Um, Aptos, Watsonville. No, no. I mean, it's ben like Loman. It is like right up against Santa Cruz. Isn't Aptos right up against Santa Cruz? No, Capitola. Capitola. Yeah, we used to go hang in Capitola. Well, Capitola had the Crapitola Mall. That's the kind of fun yeah. humor you come up with when you're 19. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I, I had always wanted to go to San, Santa Cruz when, since I had seen uh, Lost Boys. Now, there you go. That was a lot of. There's only a few things that have ever happened in Santa Cruz, so there's a lot of Lost Boys talk. Even when I went to college, which was 15 years after the Lost Boys. But this is what Santa Cruz is like, for real. Yeah. I was so my roommate my freshman year was Filipino, is Filipino, and uh, so <laughs> he was. He was. In, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now he's, I guess, Malaysian. I don't know. You know, yeah. ethnicity isn't a binary. Yeah, sure. It's a spectrum. Sure. Um, no, he's he he's Filipino, and he was in the Filipino club, and so a lot of a lot of his and the Filipino club was really like active, mm-hmm. 
And uh, so I ended up like a third or half of my friends were Filipino. Um, and <laughs> so they often were like relatively urban as well. Yeah. And we would go to Sunnyvale, California. Uh-huh. Yeah. To get like urban flavor. Like that's on the other side of a mountain Sunnyvale. range. Sunnyvale. Yeah, I know. You go over a mountain range to get to Sunnyvale to eat pho or whatever. Just to like do something. Yeah, to get some ramen. Just to do something that was, yeah. Uh, what was your major? American studies. How did you get involved? How did you end up doing what you're doing? Like what was your first... I guess radio or I mean well, this was, was pro- this was pre podcast. I was a member of the legendary improv group Humor Force Five. <laughs> oh yeah, you had one of your uh, on your last episode of Jordan Jesse Go wasn't one of the. Uh... Oh yeah, Brian Heater. Yeah, yeah, he was on Humor Force Five. I was just listening. To uh, now he's a great podcaster and a writer for TechCrunch, right? And a really fun, really funny tweeter too. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, we 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 had, somebody started a couple guys started an improv group my freshman year, and I went and auditioned for it, and then eventually kind of usurped it from them because they were really nice but not funny, um, <laughs> and uh, they were so nice too. It was a real dick move on my part, but um, you had a mutiny. Yeah, and I met Jordan my sophomore year. I was his RA. I'm a year older than he is. Oh, I didn't know Jordan was a banana slug. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jordan was Jordan. I was Jordan's RA boss, and then we were co-RAs the next year. We right. were both RAs the next year. Amazing. And uh, uh, I was RA of the performing arts hall, uh, which was horrible. <laughs> Uh, it's like two I, of my. I can only imagine. <laughs> two of my closest friends of my entire life, Jordan and and our friend Jim Rayal, who sometimes appears on Jordan Jesse Go. Yeah. Both were on that hall, and I love them both very dearly, and a couple of other great people. But overall, it was a nightmare. But um, yeah, I think my sometime my sophomore year, I heard the campus radio station, which at Santa Cruz is a okay. real radio station that really covers the whole Monterey Bay area, like a big, right. a very big station for a college station. Right. Um, and I thought, I wonder what it takes to do that. It was like just on the cusp. I'm 35, and it was just on the cusp of you could like make your own video or make your own TV thing. Or yes. that was not happening yet. Right. That happened like 2005, like two years after I got out of college. That yeah. a normal person could afford to yeah. make a video. Yeah. Um, but uh, I went to the radio station orientation. I was like, oh, this is easy. Like, not the making content part, but, like, the running the board. I was like, oh, it's just, like, a button that you push up to make it louder. So you didn't even have to be part of your major. You could just go and say, I want to do yeah, a, there a radio was no, show. There was no classes. There was no major. I eventually ended up teaching a news class, but I had no journalism or radio oh, training of any kind. It was it was just I did it because it paid, like, a... $3,000 a semester or something. What? Is that true? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That seems like something to be like, yeah, we'll let these kids talk, you know, do a couple hours a night and, you know, just to fill fill the air and no, not I, pay them. That's how I that's how I paid my way through two of the years of college was teaching, a, was being the news director of the radio station and teaching <laughs> a class. What three thousand, so, maybe eighteen hundred? It was a significant amount of money to me at the time. What were your hours of you know? What were your on-air hours? Well, we had a fifteen-minute newscast once a week. Yeah, but we did. 
right from the start, me and Jordan and our friend Gene uh, did a, did the Sound of Young America. I mean, starting when no shit. we were, they were, see, me and Gene were 19, I think, and Jordan was 18. Right. I might have been 20 and Jordan was 19. Right. Um, and originally we were writing material and like I even produced a couple of like fully produced pieces that I literally recorded on. I went home and got my mom's tape deck, which was like one of the first portable tape decks from the 70s. So it was yeah. like the size of a VCR, <clears throat> yeah. you know, um, and uh, it had a shoulder strap yeah. and I plugged in a Radio Shack microphone and interviewed a friend about this dream he had where he had sex with Keith, Keith Richards. <laughs> <laughs> and is that archived anywhere? I think it probably is. God Although I had it, to take funny. his name off of it. So like later he became a Democratic Party official in Oakland. Oh. <laughs> and he emailed me he emailed me and he's like, "Hey, could you like could you take my last name off of it? Like you don't have to take it down, but could you just leave it at Noah instead of Noah his last name <laughs> so yeah. that people can't search for it?" I was like, yeah, you got it. You got it, Noah. <laughs> but City anyway, we produced all this different stuff. Horrible dream. I know. We produced all this different stuff for it um, at the beginning, but it was so much work. And even like we were really scared to just do something like what we're doing now, like just to talk. That yeah. seemed impossible to fill yeah. the time. And we ended up interviewing people uh, to fill the time. Like we, I remember Jordan. Jordan called the phone number on Dick Dale's website, the king of the surf guitar. Oh, yeah. Love Dick, Dick Dale. Dick Dale answered. What? He just answered? <laughs> yeah. It's just his trailer in the desert. Hey, what's up? This is, yes, this is Dick Dale. And he just had a conversation with him? Yeah. That happened to me one other God time. damn, that's awesome. When I was right out of college, I was working on this show in the Bay Area called West Coast Live. Great show. And uh, the producer... Uh, the producer, we had the guest musician. So normally the show it was like a live show, sort of like Prairie Home Companion. Yeah. And the normally we had a piano player, but the piano player was out, and the, there was a harmonica player filling in. <laughs> and the th they were going to do a bit where he teaches the whole live audience how to play a song on the harmonica, uh -huh. and everyone plays it together. But we had to get two hundred harmonicas. So I called Lee Oscar Harmonicas. Uh huh. And I was like, hi, my name's Jesse. I'm calling from a public radio show called West Coast Live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And um, uh, it's kind of an unusual request, but we're looking for someone to uh, who might have the authority to donate 200 for this thing we're doing, whatever. And uh, who, with whom should I speak, you know? And the voice on the other line goes, uh, on the other side of the line goes, well, you can talk to me. This is Lee Oscar. Holy shit. And I was like, wait, Lee Oscar from war? <laughs> it's like, yes. That's amazing. I can't, I can't afford to give you that many of your, uh, of those harmonicas, but uh, it's very nice to hear from you. Maybe I'll see you. Sometimes I'm in the Bay Area. I'm visiting with my friend. His name is uh, Greg Enrico. Do you know him? And I'm like, from Sly and the Family Stone? Oh, He's like, yes. I'd like to visit him to jam together. <laughs> I was like, thank oh you. Oh, my God. The Oscar. <laughs> Wait, so what What anyway, show was that? that? That was on West Coast Live. That was a show I worked on after college a little bit. In the Bay Area. In where Bay were Area. you doing that from? Like, where would you... This is what I don't understand is how you go from college to doing a public... Is doing public radio like doing public television? Like, is it that easy? I don't think doing public television. Oh, you mean like public access? Public television. access, yeah. So basically what happened is when I graduated from college, 
my college station was a college and community station. So as long as I kept up my volunteer hours every quarter, right. I could still have a show. So I just kept doing my show. And so once you graduated, you just kept doing it. Yeah, okay. even though I was living in San Francisco and did not own a car, I was borrowing my mom's car to drive down to Santa Cruz once a week to oh my do God. my show. Okay. And uh, it was sad. It was pathetic. Um, but like a year or two into that, so the first nine months of that, Jordan was still in school. So I was doing it with Jordan. And yeah. So that was good. But then after that, Jordan graduated and moved to L.A. to work in show business. <laughs> and uh, I was like left there in Santa Cruz by myself. So I had like guest hosts. Actually, um, Al Madrigal uh -huh. hosted with me. Yeah. Uh, Kamal Bell hosted with me. Yeah. Casper uh, Hauser, amazing sketch wow. comedy group. So we actually got some pretty cool people to come and uh, guest host with me. But um, after that, I kind of abandoned it, went full interview because I was like, I'm not going to be like Harry Shearer trying to do jokes by myself yeah. into a void. Yep. Because um, I might end up like Harry Shearer. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so I uh, I just kept doing it. I probably did it on KZSE, my college station, for two years after school. And right around then is when podcasting got invented, um, end of 2004. I graduated 2003. Right. I started podcasting right at the beginning of podcasting, just with the idea that I could maybe get 100 people. To and were you calling it The Sound of Young America at that Still point? Still The Sound of Young America. And then uh, somebody from the local NPR station in Santa Cruz heard me on KZSE, and, who was on the board, and recommended me to the program director. And he was like, yeah, we're always looking for cool stuff like this, which is not usually the case on NPR station. Sure, very yeah. lucky that it was Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, and he put me on there. And so the big difference in my life was not that I, I was not make, still not making any money from it. Um, but the big difference in my life was that... At KZSE, the college station, I had to physically be present to run the uh, the broadcast <laughs> board while I was doing the show. Yeah. Uh, because you have to have someone physically there in case there's an emergency alert broadcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So then when I got onto KZ, uh, KUSP, the local NPR station, I could mail them a CD of the show that I made in my apartment oh, in San Francisco because uh, they, they had a board operator. They had an actual yeah. engineer, it being a real radio station. Yeah. So, yeah, and then... I just kept doing it. I was applying for jobs and not getting them. Like, with the job I had on West Coast Live, I wasn't getting paid for. Yeah. Um, and uh, I never got a job. Um, but, like, 2007, I, I, uh, my podcast was doing pretty well. Yeah. And, um, I mean, on the scale of podcasts in 2006 or seven, And uh, I signed with PRI, Public Radio International, to distribute my show. And it... It was still only on dozens of stations, um, and I was still, and I was making almost no money. Right, um, like less than one person's full time income. Yeah, <laughs> and making an entire hour long weekly national radio show by myself in my apartment. But it was so good. Um, thank you. Uh, and that's like well, that's probably around when you came yeah, in, like two thousand eight or something. Brian and I came. I think it was two thousand eight. We came to her apartment in Koreatown. Yeah, it wasn't what I was expecting, but someone was like, "Yeah, you, you guys should go do this interview and." I mean, that was my first TV gig, so I was like, of, I was up for anything. I'm like, yeah, I'll do an interview, shit, yeah. Uh, then I, I'm here, cut to me looking for parking in Koreatown going, what is this interview? This is and, crazy. And I think Brian had been on the show by phone before. Like yes. We had, during our college days and the right after, my right after college days, like mm -hmm. we had basically managed to trick 
every one of our favorite comedy people to come on our show. Yeah. Because we would send a really professional email. We had what at the time was a very professional website. Uh, we would send a professional sounding email that said a public radio show in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think the first, like the first person maybe was Matt Besser. And this mm-hmm. was when the UCB TV show was on. Sure. And we loved the UCB TV show. That was great. It was like a special thing to us. And he came on. He was really nice. And we got like Todd Barry and Louis C.K. and Sarah Silverman yeah. and Brian and David Cross, yep. Bob Odenkirk, all these people that we admired. Dana Gould, Patton Oswalt was on several times. I mean, like literally one of the highlights of my life before age 26 or whatever was like maybe a year or two after I graduated from college. Patton, who'd been on our show a couple of times, um, knew that we lived in the Bay Area and he, uh, Dana Gould and Greg Proops were playing um, somewhere, uh, uh, the Palace of the Legion of Honor or something for um, New Year's. Year's. Yeah. Uh, This show that the, the folks from the Punchline booked. Yep. And always had great people on it. Yeah. And uh, I bet you've done that a couple times, haven't I you? I haven't, but I mean, that, that's a fairly fam- famous show. Like, Doug Benson does it a lot. And, yeah, I uh, mean, it's like the New Year's Eve comedy show that, like, always has shows. several great comedians yeah. on it, which is basically, you know, if you're lucky, there's one. Yeah. Um, and so they were playing that, and they were in the Bay Area, and uh, we, my wife, Jordan, and I... <laughs> And My wife Jordan, yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, Bucky Sinister, who's a comedian yeah. writer in the Bay Area, yep. a great guy, um, and a guy from Modern Drunkard magazine who was friends with Patton. Modern Drunkard, I know. Uh, <laughs> all had lunch, uh, all had dinner on New Year's Eve with Patton, uh, Proops, Proops' wife, Dana, Dana's ex-wife, uh-huh. uh, uh, and Dave Eggers and Vendelavita. <laughs> Wow, that's not bad. That's <laughs> and we a were good New Year's there, Eve. And we're like 24, you know? Like, I mean, Patton was barely 30 probably, I guess. But yeah. um, uh, we were just sitting there like, uh, we definitely, like, we're not even as good as this guy from Ronard and Drunkard magazine. Yeah. Like. Uh, <laughs> as good as a guy <laughs> from something called, what is Modern Drive? I've never it heard of it. It was a magazine about drinking. Holy shit. Yeah, I don't know. Patton was into it. But like you binge know, drinking? Patton's a fucking nerd. Like he loves the shit that he loves. Oh, I know. You know. So like he was he was totally on board and he was like, all these guys, they do a radio. It's like, what if there was a radio show that was just about comedy? Like it was really like yeah. thoughtful and smart. And, um, and there wasn't any, I mean, it's hard to imagine now that being a comedy nerd is such a cultural identity, but this is only 10 years ago. Yeah. And no one... There was no media about comedy. There no. was ours was it. Yeah. You know, we were on a special thing.com trying to plug yeah. our college radio show. Oh, uh, special thing. You know? Yeah. And like sending emails back and forth with Matt Belknap. Yeah. Are those episodes of the Sound of Young America available somewhere? Yeah. They the up through like 2000, up through when we started podcasting, which is like 2000, end of 2004, beginning of 2005, are yeah. all in a show called The Sound of Young America, The College Years, that uh, <laughs> we did. So cute. I mean, we were putting them up in like 2008. 
Um, and we, Jordan and I occasionally will discuss whether we should take them down, <laughs> but no one cares no, about them. So we've, we've left them there. And then we, we, just because of weird feed stuff, we dropped most of the Sound of Young America's old archive from the podcast feed uh, when we changed to Bullseye, just for logistical reasons, not right. for ideological reasons. <laughs> but they're all up on our website. I mean, the arc of the, if you just keep paging backward, you can get all the way back to 2005 on the Bullseye website. And uh, yeah, it's crazy. Like, you can listen to my interview with Louis C.K. when by phone from the set of Cedric the Entertainer Presents. Oh, shit. For real? Where at one point he was directing a scene while doing the interview. And at one point he just goes, hold on, I got to do something here. Talk to J.B. Smoove. And he just hands the phone to J.B. Smoove. No way. Who at the time was just like a featured player on Cedric the Entertainer Presents. Was yeah. Was the celebrity that we know now from Curb oh, and all that fuck, stuff. I love him. He's the one of the funniest guys ever. Yeah. I, uh... I did, uh, Jeff Garland did a movie called Dealing with Idiots that was about Little League parents and uh, that I was a small part in and J.B. Smoove was in that and uh, I just fucking fell in love with that guy. He's so goddamn funny and super nice. And I met him at a party at Russell Simmons' house. <laughs> uh, That's amazing that you were at Russell Simmons' house. So there's basically like, I've lived in Los Angeles for 10 years, but I'm... A little less than 10 years. And I'm, but I'm not especially social. And also, I've just always been like either married or with my wife. And yeah. then we've had kids for a while now. And like, I just don't go out very much. Yeah. So I've been to like three events like that. Like one time I went to a John Hodgman party. One time John Hodgman, they're all almost all Hodgman related. Mm-hmm. One time Hodgman invited me to a This American Life party where the first thing that happened this was... American Life party. I know. <laughs> I know. Just people on coke and ju- it was like eyes wide shut. Dude, Ira was pretty hammered. No. To his credit. <laughs> to his credit, Ira was hammered and he was so nice to me. Yeah. I, I will never forget how nice Ira Glass was to me. When I met him and he was hammered out of this American Life party. Like, he's there. He could have just been like, he could have just stood on a table and been like, bitches, take it off your tops. Yeah. And everybody would have been like, woo. Like, though, just the oh, only only so challenge awesome. would have been them getting caught on their eyeglasses. Yeah. But, like, um, <laughs> but he was so nice to me. He was, he's, he probably took 20 minutes at this party to give me advice. No shit. But the first thing that happened at that party was, uh, I, my wife and I were just kind of standing there, just walked in the door, and Hodgman was like, oh, have you met Jack Black? And I was like, no, but I did once write a check and mail it to the Actors Gang to get a Tenacious D t-shirt in the mail. Oh, my God. That is such an old reference, dude. Like, I, yes, I, yes, did the I. Actors Gang. Did, oh, my God. You're blowing my mind right I now. Did I download Tenacious D bootlegs before they had an album? Yes. Oh, dude. I I could go on I could go on forever about Tenacious D and bootlegs. I had every bootleg. Yeah, there are bootlegs from Largo where you can hear my fucking horrific cackling laugh. <laughs> that really it bums me out that I can hear myself. I'm well, like it's like oh. the funniest shit ever. That's why it was great. But anyway, I just like shook hands. So that was one. Then one was one time uh, Dana Gould and his former wife. 
uh, had a party. Yeah. Sue had their had a party at their house for Hodgman, uh-huh. uh, and you know Sue uh, is a is a entertainment bigwig, yeah. and also a very nice woman who I really like, but. Yeah. Um, uh, a genuine entertainment bigwig. So, like, yeah, when they threw HBO, an entertainment yeah. party, uh, like, entertainment celebrities came. Yeah. And also, Dana <laughs> used to live in uh, Roddy McDowell's house. Yes. Uh, with a j- actual, like, totem pole of apes from Planet of the Apes 4 or whatever. I went to do Dana's podcast at his house, and uh, I was walking through the backyard, and I was like... Is that fucking Dr. Zayas, like, in the bushes? <laughs> like, just a bust of Dr. Zayas. And he's like, yep. He's, Couldn't be prouder. He's definitely one of those uh, one of those successful Hollywood nerds who's just been like, oh, I'm a success. I can turn my home into a theme park. Yeah, dude. For sure. <laughs> for the thing that I'm a nerd of. So that. And then, like, a couple years ago, somebody emailed me. Uh, who is the producer of a really big deal uh, hip-hop radio show. Uh And he said, hey, I heard your show and I really like it. I work on this really big deal hip-hop. I'm not saying because I don't, I think he wouldn't want me to say it, but uh, the biggest deal hip-hop radio show. And uh, I also produce this great hip-hop podcast that I'm a fan of. Uh, I, Jesse, am a fan of. And he's like, I... I know Russell Simmons a little bit. He's got this book about yoga and meditation coming out. Would what? you want to have Russell Simmons on Bullseye? And I was like, yes, of course. Yeah. Fucking A, yeah. Thank you so much. Like, of course I would love to have Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons came in here, gave us 12 out of 10 Russell Simmons. Like, the amount- He was in here, in this booth. In this booth. Wow. In the chair that you're sitting in. Wow. And, uh, yeah, he just gave- He was giving so much Russell Simmons to us. Like- at one point, he was talking and sending emails at the same time on his phone during his public radio of interview. Of course. I literally had to tell him, do not do that. I was like, well, I might as well just tell Russell Simmons not to do that. What's what's the worst that How can happen? How does he reply to that? He was yeah, cool sorry, with it. Man. He's great. He's a fucking lovely guy. Yeah. Uh, I, you can immediately tell why he's such a success. You just want to be friends with him, and he's brilliant. Yeah. But uh, I got invited to the book party on that basis, and it was at his house his house is crazy because it's like the house is Russell Simmons' house. Yeah. It's like exactly what you would expect. Yeah. There's just naked pictures of Naomi Campbell that are autographed to him everywhere and Tyra Banks, God you know? damn it. It's just like, it's exactly what you think it would be. Basquiat's, just like seven oh Basquiat's. My God. Like actual Basquiat's. Gigantic Basquiat's. Yeah. Oh, see, There's that's... a whole fucking area just of, of awards in his kitchen. Like his he's got like open plan kitchen and like a whole wall. I'm talking about probably ten feet long, uh, and you know ten feet high is just different awards, just full on trophies. Was there a shitload of people at this party? Yeah, there was a ton of people at this party, and one of them was JB Smooth. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, I can't talk to JB Smooth. I can't just go up and talk to JB Smooth. JB Smooth doesn't know me. Like I, I can't just. <laughs> J.B. Smooth took time that beautiful woman. I can't go talk to yeah. J.B. Smooth. And I just was like, fuck it. I came to this party. I might not talk to Rev Run, but oh, I'm going to talk to J.B. Smooth. So I just went up to J.B. Smooth and I was like, hi, J.B. My name is Jesse. We talked briefly on the phone once when you were uh, on Cedric the Entertainer Presents. J.B. Smooth could not have been nicer to me. Oh, my God. I love that. Still haven't been able to get him to show up to be here on Bullseye, but... I I 
have learned a lot, not learned, but found out about a lot of music through your podcast, by the way. I I had no idea you were so, in, like, you're really into hip-hop. I am, although I'm not like, so I feel like I know dudes that are hip-hop dudes. Sure. Like, I know I've known a lot of people where hip-hop is like the center of their identity, and I have a bad memory, and... So, like, I'm always careful. Like, I don't want to present myself as a world-class hip-hop expert because I'm not. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I definitely love... Like, if if I... Like, uh, we had Jordan Jesse go the other day with Jensen Karp, uh-huh. uh, who used to be a rapper when he was <clears throat> in college. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jensen's a nice dude. Uh, and, like, Jensen is a real hip-hop nerd in a way that I cannot match. Like, I can sure. maybe match him on a theory level. Yeah. Like I have a culture studies background. So yeah. like I can think about hip hop well. Yeah. But like in terms <laughs> of like remembering verses or remembering people's names, I'm a B minus. B. It's also not just hip hop. I remember I got so excited uh one of your podcasts you do a thing at the end called the outshot and you were ta- where you talk about, you know, a piece of music or literature or TV or whatever. And uh you started mentioning I and now I'm now I'm blanking, of course, but uh, some South African uh, funk. Oh, Fela Kuti. Yes, he's Nigerian. Yes, yeah. yes. And I was like, "Oh my God, I know that guy. How the fuck does Jesse know?" Because like 20 years ago, someone turned me on to gave me an album called Nigeria 70. Oh yeah, that's a great compilation. A yeah. compilation. There's a, few, of, there's a few of those of now, just yeah. African funk, which yeah. is. So great! I still listen to it a bunch. Like, and that got me really into funk. Like, do you have the one where, where it has that song? I can't remember what the uh, band is called off the top of my head, but the song is called "Dancing Time." And uh, <laughs> at the beginning, the guy just goes, "Dancing time yes. for dancers." <laughs> yes, and you're like, "Yes, it is dancing time for dancers." Oh, oh my god. I was so stoked. I think I texted you as soon as I heard that. I was dancing like, time for dancers. <laughs> but yeah, no, like Fela is something that like I discovered Fela. But that's like one of the last things that have been that important in my life to, for me to have discovered. Like I think I was probably in college when I discovered Fela, yeah. and I was like, wait. This exists and yeah. nobody told me about it. It's nuts. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, this is the fucking best. Like, this is as good, so maybe good. better than the JBs, which was like my standard for best thing ever. I was yeah. like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, they were doing funk all over the world. This is not just, you know, something from Oakland or you know New York it was like yeah and that kind of, that kind of music that Fela made and he was in some ways sort of a one man genre but uh <clears throat> and he's so dominated i mean he's like in his context maybe even bigger than Bob Marley in his context like you think of Bob Marley as almost defining reg- reggae but then there's yes. there's plenty of other reggae artists that ha- were international stars yep Fela invented afrobeat and basically was afrobeat yeah but uh, although there are other Afrobeat guys, as, as you know, the yeah. other guys that are on those Nigeria 70s compilations yeah. alongside him. But um, like just the most amazing synthesis of things. Like obviously this is a James <clears throat> Brown thing. Mm-hmm. But like uh, 
he his idea was is pan African music. So, um, uh, high life, which is not a Nigerian form of music, has this right. specific guitar sound that if you don't haven't heard high life music, you would recognize probably from like from like Paul Simon records. Yes, or from uh, uh, you know it's something that makes um, Vampire Weekend so interesting to listen to. They have yeah. something like that high life guitar sound. Yeah. And uh, that's that's part of it. And Fela was a saxophone player, so yep. you know he's playing saxophone. And then yeah, it's like it's so good. Yeah, it's totally amazing. And like every song is 15 minutes long, and I wish it was longer. Like oh yeah, there's no, there's nothing that I wish. It's not an aimless jam. One song ever. an album, I would love like a 60 minute song. Well, fully, the most of his albums are two songs. One yeah. song on one side of the album, one song on the other side. It's so good. So how did you go? How did you start this empire of Max Fun? Basically, I was broke. Um, we moved to L.A. for Teresa, my wife, to go to law school. And um, I had a three-month job when Casper Hauser's first book came out, Sky Mall, colon, Happy Crap You Can Buy from a Plane, mm-hmm. which remains maybe the funniest book I've ever read in my entire life. It's a, one of the most brilliant I gotta pieces. I got to check of, it out. It's... <laughs> it was, for a while, it was uh, super expensive because it went out of print. Mm-hmm. You could only get it for $100 on Amazon. But Jesus. I think they reprinted some of it when they made a sequel to it, which is also oh, awesome. I like to brag about it that it is the only book ever to have been... It got blurred by Patton Oswalt and George Saunders, which is a pretty good... Sure. But... I like to brag that it was the only book ever to be blurbed by uh, Comedy Writing's Two Greatest Daves, uh, which is Dave Barry and Dave Foster Wallace. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know who like turned over that book and was like, "Well, it says here that it says here that uh, Dave Barry likes it and David Foster Wallace likes it," <laughs> and in. was like, "I I like both of those things. <laughs> Neither of them cro- cro- cancel the other out, so I'm definitely going to buy this book." But in. anyway, they offered me fifteen hundred bucks a month for three months to help them promote their book when their book came out. Nice. That was right when I moved to L.A. And, uh, like, we made a podcast um, that's still up. Uh, some of it ran on This American Life, actually. Okay. Um, and, you know, we did some did some other stuff. Um, and I was, like, I was, 1500 bucks a month was, like, I could live on that at the time. And uh, that was more than I'd ever made, basically. Yeah. And then by the end of that, uh, that was the last time I had, like, a job job. Right. So I was doing, like, little things, like... I was a substitute host on the Slate Daily podcast, um, thanks to this nice dude called Andy Bowers, who still runs things over there at Panoply. Um, that paid 80 bucks a pop, so $80 for a show. So I would host the show, cut it, upload it, yeah, and I'd get a check for 80 bucks. So I would look forward to, like, if I could get a week of that, that was 500 bucks. You yeah. Know? Um, I know that it's 400. Don't correct my math, America. <laughs> um, I'm speaking My roughly. math is so bad. I was like, yeah, it's, that is 500. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so I was, like, super broke, and I was trying to get people to give me some money for The Sound of Young America. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to run it like a public radio station. And when I moved to L.A., I, me and Jordan thought up a doing Jordan Jesse Go, which was kind of like the since the sound of Young America had become all interviews by that point, we're like, well let's do a show that's all the things that aren't interviews. Yeah. It's devolved. At this point the Jordan Jesse Go is still running. At this point it's it has no 
written jokes or anything. Yeah. It's just bullshit. It's shooting the shit. It's what mine is, mine right. is but without a, a co-host. And, uh, but at the time, like, we would write stuff for it. We would do, like, wow. we, would, we just had Paul Rust on the other day, who's mm-hmm. the co-creator of Netflix Love. Love. Um, and uh, co-wrote the new Pee Wee movie. And yeah. he's a wonderful dude. Really we had funny. We had Paul and Neil Campbell, who's a head writer of Comedy Bang Bang, on to be presidential candidates and this must have been in the run up to the 2008 election yeah yeah it must have been 2007 it was the run up to the 2008 election and yeah. they were they were uh, we did a presidential debate one of them i want to say paul <laughs> paul was bart simpson running for president and Neil was the guy who wrote Look Who's Talking To. <laughs> Just the guy. <laughs> Holy shit. And uh, we got so much, like, we only had, like, maybe a 1,000 listeners or 2,000 listeners. We got so much shit because people hated the idea of, like, if you surprise people with character work, yeah. they'll get real angry at you. Weird. So, yeah, eventually we gave up on doing bits. But Is that in the archives? Yeah, absolutely. I gotta go listen. Yeah, to the that. Jordan Jesse Go archives go all the way back to episode one. Uh, sorry that we would sometimes say the f word for gays. We feel bad about it now. Um, so <laughs> we wouldn't say it to describe gays, right? But that does not. No, it's that's it's, a that ameliorates it slightly, but it's not. I was having that conversation with somebody about yeah movies like, in the eighties. Like it, it, that was set in John Hughes movies. Like yeah, and it's like, like don't, just don't say that. I get it. We get it. Now. We get it. We apologize. We learn. We move on. We sincerely on. have learned and grown. Yeah, we But evolve. anyway, that's not the point. The point is, we were doing that. I was doing that Casper Hauser podcast, and uh, I had this friend called Mal Sharp who did uh, put-ons in the 60s in San Francisco with his uh, partner, Jim Coyle, uh-huh. that are some of the most amazing things you've ever, most amazing, hilarious things you've ever heard in your life. Like, they would go, like, one of my favorites is this one called Maniacs in a Living Hell. So... They're both real straight guys. And this is before the 60s were crazy. Yeah. So, like, this is like the Bob Newhart 60s. Yes. And they would go to Union Square in San Francisco and grab somebody. And in this one, they said, okay, well, there was one where they asked people if they could grow, use their skulls to grow sugar bowls. And every month or so, a new sugar bowl would be cut out of their skull. And they Weird. would be, and they would be compensated. <clears throat> but anyway, the one that the one called Maniacs in a Living Hell, they're talking to this guy, and they're presented as a radio segment called Job Opportunities. Uh-huh. And so Mal is the host, and Jim is the guy presenting the job opportunity. And Coyle was like this very strange man who kind of floated in and then out of Mal Sharp's life. Uh huh. Um, but anyway. They tell the guy, okay, so the first thing is you would be working in this pit, and there's observers surrounding the pit, just people who've paid to be there. <laughs> and there's and the guy's like, yes, yes, yes. Like, he's on board I'm this in? whole time. Okay, the I'll whole time. As they're, I'm not even going to bother saying the guy's in, because the whole time he's on board with taking this job. Yeah. There's maniacs in the pit. Okay. Maniac. Just maniacs? Right. So... <laughs> His What's job is to control the maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> There's also fire in the pit. Oh, my God. But he won't be burned by the fire as long as he doesn't go into the fire. Then there's bats in the pit. <laughs> 
And he gets a lunch break. This pit sounds fucking horrific. He gets a lunch break, but he only gets to eat bats that he's caught and cooks in the fire. <laughs> And then like and the and the people watching and the people watching sometimes they'll jeer and sometimes they'll throw things. That's part of the job. Oh my! Anyway, so this is a job they're trying to talk. They're like spinning this out over like five or ten minutes, and at the end, the guy agrees to take the job. He's like, "Yeah, I'd like to see how that would go." What the fuck? There's another one where they're at Union Square and there's was this there's this building. I guess it's not actually not a bank anymore. It's like a gap or something. I know. Maniacs. And <laughs> a pit of maniacs. So they invite this marine. Fuck. They find this marine there and he's like maybe he's a little drunk. It's kind of hard to tell. But yeah. anyway, they invite him to be in this movie that they're making. Maniacs. And the movie that they're making is about is about a bank robbery. Uh-huh. And they want him to star in the movie with Jim Coyle. Uh-huh. And he's he's really glad about that. And he's like, would and they're like, for verisimilitude, we're not gonna tell the people in the bank that we're making a movie. Oh my god. And he's like, okay. He's like, but but this does sound pretty cool, you know? And uh, and everyone in these, because it is really the early 1960s, everyone talks like someone from a thousand years ago. Yeah. Like a million billion. Oh, it is yeah. before. Like, I want to emphasize how before the culture turned this yeah. is. Yeah. Like, this is not yippies in 1969. It's this not is groovy. It's not. Yeah. yeah. And so they tell the guy they're not going to tell the people inside the bank <laughs> that they're making a movie. Yeah. Because that way, their reactions will be more natural when they go in there and rob the bank. And the guy's on board. And they're like, and it's just going to be the two of us, you and me. The guy's like, okay. And he's like, and you're in the service, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Marine or whatever. And he's like, we're going to need weapons. Oh, no. <laughs> and so the guy is like, the guy's like, the guy's like, well, I can get weapons. Oh he's like, we're going to need serious weapons. And he's like, well, I have access to the armory. I can get us weapons. Oh, my God. And then so they lead him through, and this you know, goes on for like five minutes. And at the end of it, they say, we have something important to tell you. This is all a put on. We're recording this for our radio show. And the guy goes, but I think this could really work. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he tries to convince them to do it anyway. That's terrifying. There's one where they tell this woman, I know we're far afield and it's just me recounting other people's jokes, but there's there's one where they tell this woman that they run a service that rents out children. <laughs> and whether she would be interested in renting out her children for side income. And was she like into it? She was pretty she was pretty ambivalent about it. There's another one where they go up to this football coach who's in the middle of a football thing and they I talked to I mean Mal's still alive he's in his 80s probably yeah. he's an awesome really cool guy he's like the mayor of North Beach in San Francisco nice he's a he's there's a huge mural of him playing his uh clarinet cuz he's plays in a famous hot band hot jazz band right but anyway uh 
uh, I talked to Mel about how they would do this, and they would just like they would just like sit down in a cafe, think of five weird things to do because they had a weird show to do every day on uh, on KGO the every radio day. station, and so they would just think of some weird stuff to do, go out with a recorder that was the size of a briefcase, yeah, and just do it. So anyway, they go up to this football coach, and they tell him that they're running a program where. They're teaching Wolverines to play football. <laughs> and like, would he fuck? be willing to play, to have his team play a team of Wolverines? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. There's one, and I don't even remember how they got to this, but there's a priest whose job it is to to hold on to the wings of the airplanes at SFO and pray over them to make sure that they don't crash. While they're flying? While they're flying. <laughs> and he gets there by, like, swinging in on a huge crane. Where can I hear <laughs> these? So it's still up. You can coil and sharp podcast. There's a, We put up a hundred of them. Over the course of a couple of years. Yeah, they're amazing. It's like the greatest thing ever. But anyway, so we were doing that, and I was like, oh, we have a podcast network. Like, this will help us ask for money. If we have four shows, that's when we started doing the college years, too. Yeah. If we have four shows, it's a lot easier to ask for money <coughs> than if we have one show. And this was before, like, Patreon existed or Kickstarter or any yeah. of those tools. Um, but, you know, we had we set up automatic payments on PayPal and told people, can you give us five bucks a month to keep doing this stuff? And it, they did. So before, when you had these handful of shows, were they just still separate of each other? There wasn't like an umbrella yet. There wasn't like no. A it was all. It was all. It was all part of MaximumFun.org. Even then, oh. um, yeah. It was. It was all. It was all of a piece. I mean, it, when I say it was all part of MaximumFun.org, I want to be clear. MaximumFun.org was just me. Yeah, like no, Jordan no. was not an employee of this. Jordan was splitting the money with me. We've always split our Jordan Jesse Go money, but yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it was just me. And now you have a you have so many. Yeah, we have great like, podcasts. Thirty uh, podcasts. Thirty. Yeah. Jesus Christ! I didn't know it was that much. Yeah, thirty uh, shows and uh, a dozen employees here. Yeah, I was shocked because usually I when I've done. I've done Jordan Jesse go a handful of times, and we've yep. usually recorded it on like a Saturday or a Sunday here, and it's just empty. Yeah, so you're you like meet me in the garage and walk me in and through this empty office, and so today and you meet I, our goofy producer Brian sitting there. Yes, and so today I show up and I knock and you answer the door. Yeah, Chris. oh, you didn't answer the door. Who? Somebody answered the door and yeah, I was our like, office administrator probably. There Daniel. was like a shitload of people like sitting at computers. I was like, oh my god, this is a legitimate. Yeah. Legit business. Yeah. Yeah, we're for real. Um, and you're in a building that sh where someone shoots porn somewhere in this building. I know that because of a text message that you sent me with a picture of some porn yeah. that had the distinctive exoskeleton view. and view of our building. Yeah, the weird concrete... Yeah, well, exoskeleton. Nina, Nina Hartley, who's a pornography legend and like the lady that she's in Boogie Nights. Yeah, and the she's like the lady that Dan Savage asks for advice about porn in Savage Love and stuff. You know. Oh. Um, she's a legendary, classy lady of pornography to the extent that anyone famous for anal sex could yeah. be known as classy. Yeah. Um, she's super nice. I've talked to her a few times. She lives here with her husband in this building. Uh, yeah, and they have a porn studio in their apartment. Oh, that's probably where they loft whatever. Um, I mean, it might not. There's a couple of floors of product. There's a couple of production floors where they shoot all kinds of stuff, and I bet they shoot some porn in there. 
Um, no, and I was I remember I sent you that screenshot and I was like, dude, this is going on either right above you or right below you because this is the same view of that goddamn lake. Yeah, it's fun. MacArthur Park. It's fun to think of that. I mean, it's sad. In some part, some some parts of the porn industry are very sad, and you never know if you're just looking at a screenshot whether it's <laughs> you never know the more as or you're less JOing to it. Yeah, but uh, overall, I think it's fun. <laughs> I think it's fun. I have such a horrible memory of this park. I actually a few horrible memories because I used to we're live. On, we're on MacArthur Park. Yeah, I used to live in an apartment like right off of the park here uh, in probably '99 or something like that. But uh, we shot an episode of the Sarah Silverman program. Actually, a couple down here, but one outside in the park where it's like a fantasy sequence to like a music video type sequence where Brian and I are dressed. By the way, Sarah Silverman program, the profound ambition, like the number of like crazy fantasy sequences and like at some point somebody must have just been like, Hey, you know what, guys? If we just shot it in these two apartments, we'd make money doing this. Well, yeah, Comedy Central was kind of bummed that we were there. Mo- we were at that time the most expensive show on Comedy Central. That's right. And I here. think in their history, but uh, we shot a sequence That's out there. That's mostly your paycheck. Yeah, we shot a sequence out there where Brian is dressed as like. Like a toy, not a toy soldier, but like a nutcracker. Uh-huh. He's wearing one of those suits. Sure. And I am dressed in spandex with a tutu. I'm dressed like a ballerina. Right. And we're dancing out there on Mac- fucking MacArthur Park, just full of junkies and like yeah. weirdos and people selling fake social security numbers. And we're shooting it at night. Like we get there as the sun's going down, and they don't, there's not a huge budget. They don't block off the park it's just no a wall of you probably don't even have one of those pas that says don't walk through here <laughs> no there were people like standing as far as you to me just watching just junkies and i was uh, i've never been more embarrassed because i'm dressed in i'll show you a photo a pink tutu and well the, the, the one of the great things about macarthur park well the, here's the thing like i this neighborhood totally right now has the vibe of the neighborhood that I grew up in. And so to me, yeah. it is like the funnest, happiest, like, I just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I recognize that uh, at my age and level of whiteness and neckties, I probably shouldn't <laughs> be around at night that much. Right. But like, even that, it's not like, it's not the end of the world. Right. Um, but uh, it's, but one of the great things about having this view because we have a view down of macarthur park is there's shit is always going down always and it's not always scary shit no like the park frankly is not super scary anymore like scary stuff sometimes but like usually if they find a dead body in there it's because someone got drunk and fell in yeah um but like they filled the lake with these giant balls yeah but yesterday there was just a lady in a like a red party dress and a dude in one of those full-body green screen colored suits, <laughs> and a third guy who was dressed like he was on an African safari. Uh-huh. And I know it wasn't me because I was up here. 
Yeah. And they were all just doing something down there. I have no fucking clue what they were doing. One day, the other day we were here and there was a muscle dude photo shoot. So oh. it was just dudes standing in the planters doing muscle poses <laughs> all fucking oiled up. <laughs> and so we got, uh, we have uh, one spotting scope and uh, oh, nice. like three or four sets of binoculars. Oh, nice. So when shit goes down, somebody always yells, and we we get out there and check it out. I tried to get one of those, you know those kind of telescopes or binoscopes that are at like the Grand Canyon that you put a quarter in? Yeah, and Mo, or at Al- or, yeah, yeah, overlooking or Alcatraz. Alcatraz exactly. and, yeah. So I thought, I'm going to get me one of those. And I know how to get stuff because sure. I'm a flea market guy. We have a, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know how much those things cost? $5,000. Well, like $2,000. Oh, my but God. But still, $2,000. I was like, I guess um, it's not worth $2,000 to me to have one of those. Oh, that would be really cool to it have up dope, here. would be though, and it would probably be a moneymaker over time. You would actually charge people well, to I'd use it. Well, I'd charge Christian. Um, oh, man, you got, you got to get one of those, dude. This is uh, actually, there's a lot of great stuff happening in this area now. You know, you got the bootleg theater nearby, and my friend Rio has a bar called The Monty just down the street. Genji Kohan bought the building across the street from us. The whole building? Yeah, whole building, including the famous mariachi bar La Fonda. Really? Yeah, which is apparently going to continue to operate as La Fonda, so that's nice. What's going to happen to the building? Wait, which building? It has a be- it has a theater in it too, where they do sometimes weird comedy things. Is it the building with the giant staircase? I haven't in been the lobby? inside. I haven't been inside. No, no, that's that. So there's also a giant hotel from the uh, you know maybe deco era uh-huh. that is maybe mid twenties or something that awesome. is exclusively used for shooting and mm-hmm. has been exclusively used for shooting mm-hmm. and events. Uh, since, like, the 70s. The Steve Perry O'Sherry video is shot on those steps. Uh, there's a bunch of, like, uh, I, I noticed a bunch of top, uh, what's that called? Uh, what's Police Files the movie called? Uh, with Leslie Nielsen. Oh, um. Come on. Christian, help us out here. Naked Gun, yeah. Naked Gun, yeah. Like, I watched Naked Gun the other day, yes. and there's a bunch of Naked Gun that shot in there. It's amazing. We tried to do an event in there. It was We couldn't quite afford it, but... Um, we shot an episode of Sarah Silverman where we go to our high school reunion and Sarah brings God as her date and he gets drunk and he falls down those stairs. And it's like a two minute scene of God falling downstairs. <laughs> yeah. So it's fun. There's always there's always stuff going on. There's stuff to eat. Yeah. You know, it's although our poor we just hired a guy to produce as a new producer of Bullseye and he's a real punk rock. Uh huh. Does he have tattoos? He's got. He's covered in tattoos. He's in. The, have you heard of the band Murder City Devils? Yeah, he's in that band. Oh, nice. Um, among other bands, also in. He was in Modest Mouse. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Is he from Portland? Cold War Kids, most recently. Oh Jesus! Seattle, I think. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, he's vegan. He's uh-huh. totally fucked. There's not a fucking. There is not food for him to eat. No, this is like three miles straight up are. carnitas. <laughs> yeah, it's carnitas or nothing. Like you can't even get vegetarian beans here. No, no. You can't even get vegetarian rice. No, even the salad has lard in it here. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes it taste so good. <laughs> yeah. Like vegetarian, sure you could do. Like you could you could eat pupusas with no meat in them. Mm. But vegan, you are fucked. 
fuck. He's got to pack in his own food. Yeah. Poor he guy. told me he's used to just not eating. I was like, that doesn't sound uh, like a good plan. Dan? And this is a city that's You're a like, father. This You're is, an adult man. This is one of the better cities, too, to be I in know. for vegans. I know. I know. We found the one, we found like the corner of just, you were, there's no, there's no grocery store. No, you it's can't those, even go get a prepack salad. It's those dudes walking around with uh, peppered corn on a stick, pe- man. Corn on a stick, or like pineapple on a stick with like that shit's hella good. That's like the best part of living in Los Angeles. They don't have either of those things in San Francisco. No, they have tamales in San Francisco, and the tamales are better than they are here. But um, uh, uh, elote, which is the corn on a stick, that's good, and the cho- and the fruit chopping, yeah. I took me like two years in Los Angeles before I like got up the nerve to go buy some fruit from a fruit chopper. And, and it was I, all then right. I was like, holy shit, this is fucking great. I just give this guy $5 and he gives me an enormous bag of chopped tropical fruit. This is like the best thing ever. Have you ever gotten sick? Like, you know how much work it is to eat a mango? Yeah. Like, uh, mangoes yeah, yeah. are so much hassle. Yeah. You have to cut, you like cut, I would cut never off buy the a mango for myself. and then yeah. score it and then fold it inside out. Score it. You know, like it's a whole yeah. fucking thing. But you can just pay a dude $5. He will <laughs> chop up an entire bag of mango for you. Have you ever gotten sick from the food you've bought out there? I got a little sick one time from some pupusas <laughs> that I bought across the park, but not that bad. <sighs> just butt, just a, just just butt a, stuff happened. T- well, I was I've been doing butt stuff anyway. <laughs> That's called maximum fun after hours. <laughs> you sent me that screenshot, remember? Max fun after dark. No, it was uh, I never I certainly never what are you, how are you going to get sick from a guy chopping up fruit? I I feel like most food poisoning comes from like fruit or produce. You're not going to get sick from some dude chopping up fruit. It's fruit with skin on it. <laughs> there's no poison inside the fruit. That's true. That's uh, that's absolutely true. Lettuce, you could get sick if there's bad water. Onions, lettuce. But, the two, the, my last two food poisonings have happened at Hugo's. I don't know what that is. It's a, it's kind of like a, a health, a, a healthy a, restaurant in West Hollywood. I'm I've, a man of the people, so I've gotten sick from I'm salads. I'm over here on the east side eating pupusas, so I wouldn't know about Hugo's or. I could go for some carnitas. Who goes for some carnitas? I might right when now. I walk down to my car get some food down there. Uh, well, we're we're at over an hour. We did it, man. <laughs> we filled this hour with bullshit. We, Steve. we bullshitted. We, I mean, this was a this was a Steve Ag uh, podcast. Bullshit cup runneth over. Oh man, you fucking delivered, Jesse. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks for doing this. And um, hey, people should listen if people like you. And if they don't like you, yeah, why have they listened all the way through to the end of this show? No, they will listen. They didn't listen for the premise. There's never. They're a not premise. listening to learn. I don't have premise. It's not, like, it's not like, look, I'm not a fan of Mark L. Wahlberg, but I still like watching the Antiques Roadshow. Oh, yeah. But, Love it. Uh, this is the Steve Agee show. If you don't like Steve Agee, you should not. Yeah, you know what you're getting yourself into. Um, but, uh, Steve, you've been on Jordan Jesse Go a bunch of times. A bunch of times. I love doing it. And that would be a great starting point for somebody to check out Jordan Jesse Go, which is like, uh, it's as much bullshit as this. But s- somehow even more intense, yeah. intensely, yeah. N- intenser nonsense, more focused stream. It's of one bullshit. of the hardest instances I've ever laughed doing podcasting was the Fold Short episode. <laughs> um, you know somebody really got a license plate that says Fold Short, Of course right? they did. This was, it, it loses everything in the telling, but 
we were talking about license plates that Personalized. you can't understand yeah, what yeah. they say. And Jordan or you? It was Jordan. Jordan said, Jordan said, yeah, like somebody just gets a license plate that says full Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I've never laughed so I, fucking I hard. was crying. Like, I thought I was might going to convulsions yeah. or something. I was laughing so hard yeah. at full short. And <laughs> literally, this, this guy who's a lo- longtime listener of ours, great dude, drives a Porsche. Uh-huh. Fully got California custom license plates that said full short on That's it. That's beautiful. Yeah. And you can get full short t-shirts at MaximumFun.org. Well, they were limited edition. Oh, they were? Yeah. People really, uh, people got really mad at us when we stopped selling full yeah, short Yeah, I think that was, we like, that was probably the last Jordan Jesse Go episode I did. So if you go to max, MaximumFun.org and scroll through, you can find that. But all the shows are great. You guys have so many great guests you. on. And uh, Jesse's show, Bullseye, so good. So, so good. Um, and then, like any of the other thirty or so podcasts, yeah, totally. I'm actually going. I'm going on tour with Judge John Hodgman in September. So if you live in the Northeast, you're yeah. a fan of Judge John Hodgman from The Daily Show, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, we're going to be in uh, Boston, Western Massachusetts, Maine, Washington D.C. Oh, Brooklyn's, fun! Brooklyn's already sold out. Um, Are you touring as Judge John Hodgman? Yeah, so oh, I wear. A, I'm the bailiff. I wear a full-on bailiff outfit <laughs> that I bought from like a law enforcement supply store. Uh-huh. I got a special badge that says S S Y P at the top, where for shut your pie hole, which is my <laughs> catchphrase on the show. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and oh, John so wears cool. a, a judge robe. Oh, that's so cool! And we so judge cool. actual people, local people's yeah. actual problems. That's going to be really fun. Yeah. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Check out maximumfun.org. Your Twitter at Jesse Thorne, J E S S E T H O R N. And uh, anything else you want to plug? No, that Twitter's a good place to. Yeah. You know, because I got those. Find out all things Jesse on that Twitter. It's fun to see that. And uh, then remember that I'm the host of a show for NPR. That's amazing. <laughs> kind of profane bullshit that I post on my Twitter account. It's amazing. Uh, well, thanks for doing this, Jesse. Of course. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And thanks for listening, friends. Bye. Feral Audio. My heart skips skipping a beach and not close enough so that space between you and me, let's lose it. The way you're dancing, swaying to the music, girl, that body and how you move it. Every time you cross my mind, girl, I lose it. Alexa, play the Country Heat playlist. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get tens of millions of songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.